Welcome to Encouraging Truths for Today. We're glad to bring you this message from First Baptist Church in Crockett, Texas. Now please join us as we learn to grow deeper in our relationship with God and each other. The twisting and turning of news events and different things happening around COVID and all of that. Life just seems so unsettled. There seems to be a heavy cloud above us. Uh, What is right is viewed as wrong. What is wrong is viewed as right. But here's something we have to keep in mind. We as a nation are traveling well-traveled territory. This is not something new. This is something that has been common throughout the existence of mankind. From the fall in the Garden of Eden to the Tower of Babel, the flood, all the other times that judgment has come, this is a well-traveled trail that we're on. You can look at the, the headquarters of our faith through the centuries and you can look at Turkey and their what were known as the seven churches of Asia Minor and the absence of a solid, far-reaching expression of Christianity there at all. There's the absence there. You travel from there into Europe and go into Germany and Scotland and, and you'll see there where liberal theology took over and now virtually Christianity is absent. Then you travel on over to to Great Britain, to England, to Wales, where they experience outpourings of God's blessing and power and birthed Christianity into this nation. But when we were there on a mission training trip, you could eat in a restaurant that used to be a church. You could shop in buildings that used to be churches. Rampant invasion of Islam there, which is counter-opposed to Christianity. And the warnings have sounded from there to here, and they've fallen upon deaf ears, and now we are traveling that same treacherous trail. And apart from an intervention of God we will be like all the others and the center of Christianity will shift yet again because Christianity is growing throughout the continents of the world except in Europe and North America. We used to be the largest mission, missionary sending nation. Now nations are sending missionaries here because of the rampant lostness in our nation. We are traveling that very same treacherous trail that others have traveled. And now they're saying that by the end of this experience of COVID-19, 20% of pastors will leave the ministry That's a sobering thought, but even more sobering is without the virus, 1,700 pastors a month were leaving the ministry. But now they're saying not just 20% of the pastors, 
but 20% of the churches will close their doors in our nation. 20%. I haven't heard a recent figure, but at one point I heard the figure of there being like 450,000 churches in the United States, somewhere between 450, 400, I mean, and 500,000 churches. You take 20% of that, that's like 90 to 100,000 churches that will close their doors, never to open again. And those that don't close perhaps are declining or plateaued and simply dying by attrition in the deaths of those getting older and older or at the heart of the serving and giving in the life of churches. That's why the message today is so important. I don't want to be a statistic, do you? I want to be at a, at a place where we are solid in our faith, where we're walking with Jesus. We're seeing him change lives in the midst of all of the craziness around us. There, there is life within the church where Christ is exalted and where the word of God is revered and honored and where prayer is at the very heartbeat of that congregation. And so that's where we want to abide through all of this. So when you look at the diagram that we've been walking through, you see that barrenness sets in. We become discontented, disobedient. That disobedience turns into a disorientation to God, defiance toward God, divine discipline poured out among the people, and then there's that divine distancing where God withdraws his manifest presence, not his indwelling presence within the individual believers, but that outpouring of the expression of his manifest presence. And it becomes barren. And here's the trap that we could fall into. And many churches have from Revelation 2 and 3 till now, and that is this, we confuse busyness with blessedness. I've been with families where a loved one is on life support. There's movement. There appears to be life, but it's life support. I've heard those sad the sad news brought to a family that said, although it appears that they are continuing to breathe, they are gone. And once we remove the life support, you'll see what I'm talking about. It's a horrible place to be as a family. But a lot of churches today are existing on life support, giving the semblance of life, having pageantry instead of the power of God, eloquence instead of an eternal focus. And that barrenness has given birth to busyness 
which takes you on down that path of ruin and bitterness. They're just a, a bitterness. They can't, the church isn't working, things aren't coming together and they're, they're frustrated and, and they're doing it all in their own strength. There's no blessing of God upon all we can do. There's great blessing upon what he can do. We don't want to travel that way. So there's one way to get toward blessedness and that's brokenness. Something we tend to shy away from. Something we tend to look down upon at times. Finish this sentence with me. Big boys don't cry. That statement is a lie. There's the shortest verse in the Bible that negates that, and it says, Jesus wept. A real man is able to express his emotion and his emptiness and his brokenness before God. And, and, and you can't, it's not an emotional thing to get saved and to become a believer, but, but if it brings about emotion, that's okay. I get emotional when I talk about my family. I get emotional nearly every time I pray with our children and grandchildren before we travel or at a meal or just when we pray together, I, I get emotional because I, I feel deeply about that. So brokenness sometimes implies emotion, but not always. It just means being laid out before God completely relying upon him, dependent upon him, pleading with him to do what only he can do. And perhaps everyone in the room has been in a situation like that. Family issues, et cetera, bring us to that point, but this national urgency needs to hit our hearts today. It needs to grip the life of the church today. And so I want us to look at a verse in scripture that you hear a lot, but that is pulled out of its context when it is used. Now that could be just about any verse in the Bible, but this one, especially in these circumstances. Now, when we talk about putting a verse in its context, there are different contexts in which we put that. One of those is you put it in the context of its immediate context. The next thing is you put it in the context of the book in which it appears. But bigger than that, you put it in the context of the entire Bible. Is that truth expressed somewhere else in Scripture that would shed light upon this verse? The best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to let the Word of God shine light upon the Word of God and it'll help us to better understand that common verse that you hear, 2 Chronicles 7.14. But we're going to hear it in this biblical context today. So once again, we're going to read quite a bit of scripture, but I think it's necessary in order for us to really grasp what that verse, 2 Chronicles 7.14, is saying. 
So let's open our Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 11. We're going to read verses 1 through 28 as we focus today on crying out to God on your face, seeking his face. Deuteronomy chapter 11. We're going to begin reading in verse 1. Remember, Deuteronomy is when they're about to come into the promised land. He's giving them instruction. He's encouraging them to take care of their generation and the next generation and the next generation. And so it says in verse 1 of Deuteronomy 11, Therefore, you shall love the Lord your God and keep his charge, his statutes, his judgments, and his commandments always. Know today that I do not speak with your children who have not known and who have not seen the chastening or discipline of the Lord your God, his greatness and his mighty hand and his outstretched arms, arm, his size and his acts, which he did in the midst of Egypt, to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and to all his land. What he did to the army of Egypt, to their horses and their chariots. How he made the waters of the Red Sea overflow them as they pursued you and how the Lord has destroyed them to this day. What he did for you in the wilderness until you came to this place. And what he did to Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, the son of Reuben, how the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up, their households, their tents, and all the substance that was in their possession in the midst of all Israel. But your eyes have seen every great act or work of the Lord which he did. Therefore, you shall keep every commandment which I command you today, that you may be strong, and go in and possess the land which you cross over to possess, and that you may prolong your days in the land which the Lord swore to give to your fathers, to them and their descendants, a land flowing with milk and honey, just a phrase meaning great abundance. For the land which you go to possess is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come, where you sowed your seed and watered it by foot as a vegetable garden. But the land which you cross over to possess is a land of hills and valleys which drinks water from the rain of heaven, a land for which the Lord your God cares. The eyes of the Lord your God are always on it from the beginning of the year to the end of the year. And it shall be, If you diligently obey my commandments, which I command you today, to love the Lord your God and serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, then I will give you the rain for your land in its season, the early rain and the latter rain, that you may gather in your grain your new wine and your oil. And I will send grass in your fields for your livestock that you may eat and be filled. Take heed to yourselves, lest your heart be deceived, and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them, lest the Lord's anger 
be aroused against you, and he shut up the heavens so that there be no rain, and the land yield no produce, and you perish quickly from the good land which the Lord is giving you. Therefore, you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul and bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, speaking of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers to give them like the days of the heavens above the earth. For if you carefully keep all these commandments, which I command you to do, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways and to hold fast to him, then the Lord will drive out all these nations from before you and you will dispossess greater and mightier nations than yourselves. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads shall be yours, from the wilderness and Lebanon, from the river, the river Euphrates, even to the western sea, or the Mediterranean Sea shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand against you. The Lord your God will put the dread of you and the fear of you upon all the land where you tread, just as he has said to you. Behold, I set before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and the curse, if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way which I command you today to go after other gods which you have not known. Now let's turn to the book of 2 Chronicles. Read shorter passages there surrounding our text for today. 2 Chronicles chapter 6. They are in the land of promise. They are moving from a tabernacle into the temple. They're asking God's blessing upon that through the prayer of Solomon the king, David's son. Verse 26 of 2 Chronicles 6, Solomon is praying. When heaven is shut up and there is no rain because they have sinned against you, when they pray toward this place and confess your name and turn from their sin because you afflict them, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel, that you may teach them the good way in which they should walk and send rain on your land, which you have given to your people as an inheritance. When there is famine in the land, pestilence or blight or mildew, locusts or grasshoppers, when the enemies besiege them in the land of their cities, whatever plague or whatever sickness there is, whatever prayer, whatever supplication is made by anyone or by all your people Israel, when each one knows his own burden and his own grief and spreads out his hands to this house, then hear from heaven your dwelling place and forgive 
and give to everyone according to all his ways, whose heart you know, for you alone know the hearts of the sons of men, that you may they may fear you to walk in your ways as long as they live in the land which you gave to our fathers. And then chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. This is God replying to Solomon's prayer. When I shut up the heaven and there is no rain or command the locust to devour the land or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Let's pray together. Father, we have read a lot of scripture. Give us eyes to see and understanding to connect the dots today. Please, please speak to us through your word. Because unless you speak, I have nothing at all to say. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today I want us to talk about the missing ingredient that could cause us to fall short of returning to God. The typical attitude during a traumatic season in a nation is to turn to God far enough and long enough to get it to lift and then go right back to the way things were. That happened on 9-11 and other occasions like that. What's the missing ingredient that keeps us from pushing through with God and completely returning to him? We're going to find it in this message today. It is seeking God's face. Seeking God's face. That's why we're focused today on being on our face, seeking God's face. So we're going to fill in the diagram today. But you'll notice the list went downward when we were talking about the, the downward spiral of spiritual decline and declension. And it started with discontentment and moved down. We're, over here, we're moving upwards, so it starts at the bottom of that. So, wives, you may have to help your husbands today, but it starts down at the bottom. Okay, I'm being silly. <laughs> The first move towards seeking God's face and moving into brokenness and beginning that move toward revival or toward the presence of God in a manifest way is remorse. God's people experience remorse over their sin. They don't blame other people. They don't curse the culture. They simply come before God remorseful of the sin in their life, the sin of committing sin or the, commit, the sin of omitting godliness in their life, and they get right before God out of a heart that is remorseful or as the Bible calls it, contrite at times or 
broken. That's where brokenness begins. A true remorse or regret over sin. Now let's look at 2 Chronicles 7, 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. That is the key to the whole passage. Most of the time when people quote that, they, they read up to humble themselves and pray, and then they, they read everything else quickly. Hence, you see yard signs that say prayer, America's only hope. If you have one of those, don't run home and take it down. But it says prayer, America's only hope, 2 Chronicles 7.14. What do they mean by prayer? Just saying prayers? Talking to God? There's much more to 2 Chronicles 7.14 than prayer. It is sandwiched between humble themselves and seek his face. That's the type of prayer it's talking about. A prayer where I completely humble myself before God, not coming to him, giving him advice or suggestions, not coming saying, I kind of know what to do. No, coming and saying as Jehoshaphat did before the great battle and victory God gave him, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. That's the kind of humility. True prayer is an expression of true humility. A humble person prays, a proud person never really connects with God because God draws near to the humble, but he resists the proud. And until I'm in that position of humility, I have no power in prayer because the power of God is not available to me. Until I humble myself before his his power at his disposal and in his wisdom. So they've got to, we've got to humble ourselves, pray, and seek God's face. Now remember, this was spoken to Israel. It does not apply to the United States of America uh, specifically, and jumping from Israel to here is, is tragic, but the principles here apply. So here's the reality. We're much better at seeking God's hand than seeking his face. God, please stop this. God, please hold this back. God, please remove this. What we're asking him to do, even though God doesn't have a hand, that's the expression we use, God, move your hand and do something. Seeking his face means Regardless of what God does, you want his favor in your life. You want his face to shine upon you. You want him to find great pleasure in you regardless of the circumstances around you. The world could self-destruct, but if you were in a right relationship with God and you were seeking his face, you would have more joy than if nothing was wrong at all. That's why so many martyrs die with a glow on their face because they have sought God's face to the point of death and and they're gaining eternity by laying down this body. 
That's why people in persecuted areas don't pray that God will protect them. They pray that God will keep them strong in their witness and that he may be glorified even if that requires their death. That makes no sense to a worldly mind, but to someone who is heavenly minded, it makes perfect sense because the ultimate achievement in our life would bring would be to bring glory to God. And when we fail to do that and we taint his name, that's the opposite of bringing him glory and that should bring great remorse into our lives. Put in the context of a young man who has an ungodly habit, I'm just making this up, He's concealed it from his parents and his friends. And then all of a sudden, he's found out. And it it brings remorse that he broke his mother's heart or his father's heart or he tainted the family name. As a child of God, we should be more concerned about what God sees us do than anybody else. He sees it all. And he is holy. No taint of wickedness, no taint of sinfulness in God. He is extremely to the max holy. And when I, as his child, break his commands and fail to walk with Christ and honor Christ in my life, it ought to bring great remorse in my life, not some levity of, well, grace will cover it. Yes, grace will cover our sin, but we need to be broken over that, that grace might flood back into our lives in a fresh way. There's got to be a remorse. I think I've used this example before, but it, It bears repeating. There was a young lady being tempted by her peers as a teenager to do something that she she knew that was forbidden by her father. But as peer pressure will do, they they kept belittling her and, and pulling her down because they knew if they could pull her into this, then they would feel better about the wrong in their own lives, not because they cared about her, but they're trying to urge her into this activity. And finally, a young man says to this teenage girl, you're just afraid of what your father would do to you. And she shot back, no, I'm afraid of what this would do to my father. Next time you're tempted to sin... I'm sure the venomous voice of the enemy will breathe in your ear. Oh, you're just afraid of what God's going to do. He doesn't care. And you should in your mind, I don't even show respect enough to talk to Satan. I let Jesus take care of that. In my mind, I think, no, I am concerned about what it would do to my father and to his heart, not about what he would do to me. That's true remorse, a broken heart at the thought of breaking the heart of the Father. So let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 31 and 
you can turn there. I'm, I'm going to read it as you do. But it's Deuteronomy 31, 17, and 18. Deuteronomy 31, 17, and 18. This will help us put this in even a clearer context. Deuteronomy 31, 17, and 18. Then my anger shall be aroused against them in that day, and I will forsake them, and I will hide my face from them, speaking of the Israelites in the Old Testament, prior to the promise of the coming of the Holy Spirit being fulfilled. I will hide my face from them, and they shall be devoured. And many evils and troubles shall befall them, so that they will say in that day, Have not these evils come upon us, because our God is not among us? And I will surely hide my face in that day because of all the evil which they have done in that they have turned to other gods. So here's a picture, this whole thing of seeking God's face. It's it's not an option if you kind of get around to it. If you don't seek his face, he will continue to hide his face and... When God has hidden his face from a people and has set his face against them, nothing short of seeking his face will do. Nothing short of that. So we might say, well, I need to be more active in church or I need to be more consistent in my giving. Yes, that's probably true if that's what's on your heart. But that's not the all fail cure of where you are spiritually. You've got to get back to God. You've got to seek his face and not his hand. It's not just about changing habits. It's about God changing your heart, isn't it? And so if I'm not remorseful, I'm going to just try to fix myself up a little bit, become a little bit more religious. No, that does not do anything in the eyes of God until you get broken before him and you are on your face seeking his face out of remorse over sin. And that's the place where I long to be. It's not easy to do that. It's not easy to even take the time to think deeply about a holy God and about the sin in my life and put it in context and then experience that depth of remorse over that sin. But that's where it's got to happen. Now let's look at Leviticus chapter 26. This whole theme of seeking his face and him hiding his face or setting his face against us. Leviticus chapter 26, beginning in verse 14. Verses 1 and 2 are about basic requirements of obedience. Verses 3 through 13 are conditions and results of obedience just like Deuteronomy 28. Beginning in verse 14, here's the conditions and results of disobedience. But if you do not obey me and do not observe all these commandments, not just some of them, but all these commandments, and if you despise my statutes or if your soul abhors my judgments so that you do not perform all my commandments but break my covenant, I also will do this to you. 
I will even appoint terror over you, wasting disease and fever, which will consume the eyes and cause sorrow of heart. And you shall sow your seed in vain, for your enemies shall eat it. I will set my face against you, and you shall be defeated by your enemies. Those who hate you shall reign over you, and you shall flee when no one pursues you. And after all this, if you do not obey me, then I will punish you seven times more for your sins. I will break the pride of your power. I will make your heavens like iron and your earth like bronze. That's pretty serious, isn't it? My judgment will be seven times worse. And we stop there. If, if you want to be sleepless now, you need to read the rest of that chapter down to verse 39 because it says, then if you walk contrary to me, this is going to happen. And if after all of this, in verse 27, after all of this, if you do not obey me but walk contrary to me, then this is going to happen. It just keeps going on and on and on because God is never satisfied with a divided heart. He's never satisfied with an unwilling people or a disobedient people. So you take the great commission that we've been given to take the gospel and share with everyone we come in contact with. Our failure to do that and be the salt of the earth and the light of the world has created an issue here, hasn't it? He's removing our lampstand, our light from the lampstand, so to speak because it's not shining at times. And did you not hear reference again to disease that God would bring upon his people to get their attention? Failure to seek his face, as it states here, results in him setting his face against his people. Don't you want him to shine his face on us? We don't earn that or merit that. Obedience is not something we use to get for God to say, yay, you. No, that's what is required of us. Grace should motivate us more than judgment. Because he's been so gracious, I ought to have this yearning desire to obey him. And when we fail to do that, God responds to that disobedience. So in 2 Chronicles 7.14, if we go back there to our next point, after remorse comes repentance. Remorse gives birth to genuine repentance. Have you ever felt this way? God, please forgive me for this. Help me to turn from this. I repent of this. But in the back of your mind, you're hearing the words until next time. Because you know how frail your flesh is. But repentance is a change of mind, a change of heart, and a change of mind that produces a change of lifestyle. 
Have you never said to your child, stop apologizing and start just doing what I said? Or stop doing that. Just stop doing it. Don't try to explain it. Just stop. So 2 Chronicles 7.14 goes on to say, if my people who are called by my name, not society or the culture, but if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray, and seek my face, humble and seek my face in prayer, and turn from their wicked ways and turn from their wicked ways. If my people will seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. When we have a drought, what's the first thing even pagans say? Pray for rain. You see people writing that and posting that or whatever, pray for rain. But let's put 2 Chronicles 7, 14 in context with verse 13, as we have with all these other verses. Verse 13 says, God speaking, when I shut up heaven and there is no rain, then he goes on and talks about other calamities among his people. He says, if my people are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then. You see, we want rain. God wants repentance. And we always tend to shortcut what God desires. He wants a relationship. Okay, God, I'll give you religion. He wants obedience. Okay, I'll, I'll give you, um, I'll do better next time. I'll move from using a dozen curse words to just two really good ones. You see how bizarre that is? So God says, if my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. He's after repentance. That's the pinnacle of the verse. It builds up to that. Everything hinges on turning from their wicked ways. But God knows the reality that if you don't humble yourself and pray and seek his face, you will never, ever turn from your wicked ways. God's got to become more important to you and I than anything else in life or anyone else in life. He's got to be our ultimate love, our ultimate desire, our ultimate focus and goal. He's got to be everything I long for and everything I desire, I, I look to him first. Too many times we settle for rain when God desired repentance. So here's what we tend to do. We pray for rain and curse the mud. And the weathermen say this, oh, look out, we got some rain coming. Finally, we got some rain coming. It's going to be great. 
I don't know when the rain's going to finally stop. We're never happy. But when you move into the realm of genuine repentance, you're not happy, you're joyful because you're right with God. And it doesn't matter if you live in a drought or a desert because his joy is your strength. So sometimes we think, well, repentance of sin is just a recognition of sin. Yeah, I'm wrong. I sinned. That's confession. That's not repentance. When we confess our sin, it means we agree with God about the nature of that sin. I agree that that sin is destroying me. I agree that that sin is having negative effects on my family. I agree that that sin in the eyes of God is worthless in my life. Not just that, but it goes beyond confession to repentance, and that is where you do an about face to seek his face. So whose face are you seeking? We pick on teenagers, don't we, about peer pressure. They're seeking the the shining of the face of their peers because they want everybody to like them. They want to be, you know, big man, big girl. No, they never want to be big girl on campus. But anyway, they want to be the most important person on campus or in their class or whatever. They want their faces to shine upon them. You know, peer pressure never stops. I promise you in a nursing home today, somebody's getting a new walker because somebody has one nicer than theirs. Or some lady got her teeth fixed in the nursing home, got that new set, and somebody else is going to have to have a better smile than her. Or even a diamond-studded tooth cup to outdo her. It never stops. And, And it never, ever fulfills your longing. That's what caused me to turn to Christ with all of my life. I heard a a man by the name of Steve Davis, who was the quarterback of the Oklahoma Sooners back when I was in high school. He was in college, and and he, he was a great athlete, and he won so many games and all as a quarterback. I wasn't even a football fan, but I heard him speak one night in Colorado Springs at the Air Force Academy about about Christ. And he said this, all of us have these empty spots in our lives. We try to fill them with drugs or with the opposite sex or with achievement and possessions and positions. And he said, but I have come to a place in my life where I let Jesus fill the gaps in my life and I'm always full to overflowing. And I was there with these half-filled gaps in my life with basketball and other things in my life. And I realized that only Jesus could completely fill me. And I fell on my face, I'll never forget, in that dorm room. And I cried out to God. And I said, God, I just want you to fill those empty spots in my life. I want to be at peace with you. I want to know you. I want to walk with you. And I submit myself completely to you. And that journey has brought me to where I am today. And it all hinged upon that moment when I realized only Jesus could fill me. 
as empty as I was. Everything else couldn't. And that was the beginning of me understanding what real repentance was. It wasn't so much that I was turning away from this. I was turning to him. Isn't that something? We focus, I got to turn away from the No, 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 just turn to him. And man, what have I been doing? It's him I was looking for. It's him that will satisfy it. It's him that feeds me till I hunger and thirst no more. It's him that completely satisfies. I'm not just turning from this, I'm turning to him. And that brings us to the third thing, return. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, you see, before you can return to him, you've got to turn. You've got to take that, that first movement. You turn in order to return. And when we return to him, we come to that next word, then. Then and not until then, we could add. Don't say, God, I understand the first part, but would you please forgive my sin and heal this land? Now, here's the reality. If one of your loved ones was sick and the answer was in the hand of the doctor, the treatment, picture yourself standing in the door, keeping the doctor out with the cure. And the doctor's saying, if you just get out of my way, well, are you going to give him a shot? He, he hates needles. But he's going to die without the shot. I don't care. I'd, I'd see him cry. You, you think that guy's crazy. But you know what? Standing between God with all of the cure and the answer and the culture in which we live, us. The problem is not that lost people out there are acting lost. Is that Christian people that know Christ are not living a life of victory and power as if they were truly saved. They're not the problem. As a matter of fact, in all the passages we read, did you ever hear God say that other nations were the problem for Israel? Israel was their own worst enemy. Nations fall from within. They implode. Because the smarter people get and the more technology advances, the more morality and spirituality plummet. Is that not true? If we need an answer, we look to Google. 
Why don't we look to God? He has all the answers and there's nothing fake or phony about his word. Some people trust Facebook more than seeking his face. Zechariah 1.3, he tells his people, God does, Zechariah 1.3. Therefore say to them, he says to Zechariah, thus says the Lord of hosts, return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. That is a foundational principle in the Bible, Zechariah 1.3. Return to me and I will return to you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you, it says in the New Testament. This is not just Old Testament stuff. This is New Testament stuff. If you return to me, I'll return to you. If you draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. He has, in Christ, stepped toward us with great magnitude. He has offered his very son for us. He has offered his atoning blood to cleanse us and to purchase our salvation. He has given us everything near and dear to his heart in his son. And he's asking us to take the step toward him. You might not know Christ today. That, that's not God's fault. That's your fault because he has done everything in Christ for you. You need to turn to Christ. You need to come to him and receive the great bounty of salvation awaiting you. Flee from the wrath to come, the wrath that is coming upon you and turn to Christ and receive life from him. Step out of the curse and into his blessing. God's done everything he can to keep you out of hell. All you've got to do is come to him. Return to me and I'll return to you. And that's the answer to the church today. Return to me, he says, and I'll return to you and you'll experience my manifest presence. And we might say, well, how do I return to you? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then... I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. But God, look at what's happening. I know I sent it to get your attention. If my people, that, that's the only answer. Did you get tired of your parents sounding like a broken record? And then now you're like a scratched CD and your kids don't even know what a CD is? You're not going to change God's mind. You're not going to change his requirements. And if that high of a requirement was placed on Israel, the apple of his eye, how in the world do we think he's going to overlook our sin? How in the world do you think he's going to wink at our sin and say, oh, yeah, that's the U.S., that, that's all right, those crazy kids? No, not at all. The principles still apply but we've got to connect the dots. Why is part of our nation burning up? Why is another part flooding? Why is all of it covered with disease? And we've run out of names for these hurricanes. Is that not get our attention? 
We need to be crying out to God and recognizing that 2 Chronicles 7.13 is happening right now and it's time for the church to move into 2 Chronicles 7.14 and get serious about seeking his face. Until we are on our face seeking his face, there's no hope for this place in which we live. We have to come to him. Do you remember when you came to Christ? You were seeking him like you needed him, weren't you? I was. I was a young kid. But people didn't have to look at my life long to see there was sin there. Not just individual sins, just that that sinfulness. And I, I was overcome with the idea that a holy God was looking at my sin in my life. And I came to Christ and I was seeking him like I needed him. Why? Because I did and I do. And you know what? I need him now more than I ever have. It didn't stop. In the 1920s in a province in China known as Shantung, a great move of God happened there. This is in the midst of all kinds of opposition, but God just showed up in the province of China called Shantung in the 1920s. He moved so mightily that that whole areas were turning to Christ, but it all began with missionaries getting right with God and right with each other. And they had a recurring theme during the Shantung revival. After sermons and in the midst of sermons, they would say, bring it under the blood. Bring it under the blood. Whatever your sin is, bring it under the blood. Whatever your uh, your fears are, bring it under the blood. Whatever your failures are, bring it under the blood. His blood is sufficient. The cross is sufficient. And that became the sounding alarm for the people in the Shantung province that that had no concept of a holy God. But when they heard that message proclaimed, they began to bring their lives under the blood of Jesus Christ and they were transformed. That whole, that whole province was moved by God. And the answer is still the same. Bring it under the blood. I don't care what your failure in the past is. Bring it under the blood. I don't care how great you think your sin was. You didn't outsend me. You didn't outsend the Apostle Paul. You didn't outsend anybody in the room. We we are all sinners in needs of God, in need of God's grace. Just bring it under the blood. Oh, but you don't understand. I'm so unworthy. Yeah, the more unworthy you feel, the quicker you need to go ahead and bring it under the blood. Get right with God. Don't wait. Bring it under the blood. would like to thank you for joining us for this message from First Baptist Church in Crockett, Texas. First Baptist desires to be a house of prayer with a heart for people, making a difference by making disciples from our neighborhood to the nations. If you would like more information about this ministry, please visit www.firstcrockett.org. Until next time, may God's blessings be upon you.